Before we start the show, I'd like to thank our sponsor, NPR. NPR is a part of people's daily lives, and so are the brands that sponsor NPR's award-winning news and programming. I listen to NPR personally while I'm making dinner, and that's nearly every night. So stay tuned, and I'm going to tell you about why NPR matters to your brand. If you're a card-carrying member of media Twitter like me, you know Rafat Ali for his barbed takes on all things media. Whether it's decrying the chase for scale, calling out bubbles, or pronouncing established players as doom. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On this week's episode, I speak with Skift founder Rafat Ali about the media trends he loves and especially the ones he hates. We also discuss Skift six years in, why he's making an acquisition, and the recipe for success in media today. Rafat, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, you for having me back. were here a couple years I'm, ago. I, am I the last guest in this old office of yours? Uh, no, apparently not. Okay. Um, we've got one more this week, uh, but we are moving offices. So that's a good thing. Uh, cause we're a little, little crowded here. So Skift is now six years old. Mm-hmm. Like give us the bullet points. You got 50 employees, 55 or so. We'll end the year about 60 people. Okay. That's like what? 10 million in revenue. We're saying we're going to cross 8 million, <laughs> eight figure mark this year. And we'll grow about 50% revenues next year. So it's, that's, it's relatively okay. simple to calculate from there. And and you got off the venture capital... Uh, a long time ago. A long time ago. So you're funding this the old-fashioned old way, I take it. Yeah, through, novel, through this novel thing flow. called revenues. Yeah, okay. to cash flow. I'm Indian, so the only thing I understand is cash in the bank. Okay. And so that's kind of worked out. Like, do I have enough cash in the bank? Turns out I don't have to worry about tomorrow or day after or the next month. So that's kind of worked for us. It's very much cash in the bank focused um financial discipline okay so skiff focused on the travel industry Mm -hmm. and now expanding also into dining dining. business of dining we started about a year and a half ago our first skiff restaurants forum will be done by the time i think this podcast is out so business of dining five people including my co-founder jason is fully focused on building that uh, we see the similar opportunity that we've done in travel into the business of dining. Separate from the larger food world, because there's so much happening in food tech and all kinds of other um, spaces, we're very much focused on restaurants. Then, um, then we're also j- just uh, announcing moving into the business of wellness. So we see an opportunity to cover so the modern wellness, the business modern wellness with the similar lens that we've used in travel and dining, which is marketing strategy and tech as our filters mm-hmm. are looking at these sectors. And um, to defining a sector the way we think. Yeah, because right wellness thing. is a lot of things. I mean, we, we, we sort of, we do it as part of beauty. Correct. Um, so we will probably be less where you are. Um, but to be honest, we don't know yet. Like we, we haven't even oh. started yet. Our first issue is going to be out uh, first week of October. Uh, it's starting as a weekly newsletter, as a curated weekly newsletter. We're just dipping our toes. We will see for the first six months how it goes, yeah. and then build from there. It's a crazy space. It's great. I love it's, it. Um, the the <laughs> funny part is like I'm personally I'm moving more and more away from things that I know about as we're expanding. Yeah, travel I knew, restaurants I know even less. Wellness, I know even less. So it's a test for personally for me. I like I like that stretching of muscle that I haven't. Yeah, that I don't. Otherwise, know. it gets boring. 
Um, certainly, certainly was the case here when we went into fashion, totally new world. So talk about the model. I mean, it's in some ways it's, I'm familiar with it because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's similar to Digiday. It's a, it's a B2B model. Correct. Right. And one of the good things about B2B models is you're really not reinventing stuff. I don't mean you, I mean, just with B2B and that the, the playbook is out there. Yeah, I mean, look, I've said this many times. I don't think the playbook for any media is any different anywhere from what it was 20, 50, 100 years ago. You find a sector, cover the shit out of it, either sell the audience or sell to the audience. There's no third way to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, this is true in consumer media. This is true in I think it's more true in B2B, though. Well, I mean... Because you did not have the collapse of of CPMs for display advertising, whether that display advertising was on a printed page or display advertising on a web page in, in, in B2B media. B2B media has always been more diversified away correct, from advertising. Correct, Like all the, hey, we should have multiple revenue streams, guess what B2B has been doing yeah. forever. Um, events, huge part. Subscription, always a huge part. Advertising, sure, but branded content what now everybody calls yeah. native or custom branded publishing custom publishing has been around forever so um in our case same just so happens that we get to use the best of the consumer web tools like you mm-hmm. to uh, and we have no legacy so that helps a lot we don't have any any transitioning out of print issues that i'm sure a lot of other b2b uh publishers has had we also don't have um we're, I feel like we're expanding very organically. So we know travel. We've sort of figured out restaurants are very aligned to it. We think wellness is very aligned mm-hmm. to all those two. So it's a business of leisure, if you will, if you connect all those three. So, and we don't have venture capital. So we, we haven't raised enough venture capital. So we don't have any pressures on external. So from that perspective, I've, we are a B2B company, but I feel like we are able to use the best of consumer to Mm -hmm. advantage in the B2B sector. Yeah. So what's the breakdown of revenue? Um, At this point, 40, 40, 20. So 40% branded content, 40% conferences, and then 20% research subscriptions. Uh, That will increase because we're we're also just buying this um, newsletter called Airline Weekly that... um, that is a subscription newsletter that has existed in the airline world. It's a weekly subscription mm-hmm. newsletter for the airline. Very wonky, insidery type coverage of the of the global tra- of the of the global airline industry. Three people they've been doing it for fourteen years, um, and we're acquiring it. So that's our first, I would say, substantial acquisition that mm-hmm. we've done. So why uh, acquire something like that? Why not why not build it yourself? Well, it it has one. If it was just a advertising thing i probably we probably wouldn't have looked at it Mm -hmm. it's a subscription thing that already is very well known in the travel industry every big ceo in airlines that i have personally emailed to say hey do you read this and they say yes so like those are the types of checks that we did before we we went down this path and um we needed some airline is a very insular sector compared to other sectors of travel we needed a dedicated vehicle for it and better that it was subscription we think that there's tons of opportunity for us to take what they've built which is which is really good but we can turbocharge it modern marketing digital pricing mm-hmm. we can build conferences on the backs of it ex- conferences focused on airline industry on the backs of it as well so we just see that they've done the founders have done a very good job and we can turbocharge it 
for us to start on our own, they already have enough revenues that they're paying for themselves and more. So, you know, it's the best of both worlds. We don't have to, not only are we, we don't have to invest um, and then build and wait for mm -hmm. an audience to build and wait for a subscription to boy. It's already there. Yeah. So do you expect subscriptions to be a bigger part of the yeah. revenue pie? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's happened to us 2018 particularly is um, my role has changed a lot. So I'm very external focused, uh, very little operations, daily operations focused. So I'm spending a lot of my time looking at acquisitions uh, in this space. You look at 10, one happens. This is the first one that's happening. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, six or seven others hmm. we don't have we're very small so for us two to three people type small operations uh is what we can afford today right and so we're looking at that i would i i want you'd be surprised how many of these two three people operations that are let's say five to seven to ten years old are making money and profitable a lot of them are in the B2B mm -hmm. space. You know, what more do you want? Well, they wouldn't keep doing it. I'm they sure. wouldn't keep doing it. If it's two or three feet, they would be like, oh, hell, let's get a job. Yeah, because these are um, these are small businesses that yeah. they build on their own. It's based on their talent. And I feel like there's a lot of those opportunities that are there for companies like us or even larger companies if they want you know, on the on the consumer side as well. But more in the B2B side. There's just a lot more in the B2B side. And so... Uh, you know, I'm look, as I mentioned, I'm looking at not just media. We're looking at other things like training, etc. In the in the larger mm -hmm. travel world, and um, I think you know a couple of more acquisitions to come in the next year, hopefully for us, if okay. we can afford it. We'll be back after this quick break. Did you know listeners find brand messaging on NPR 23% more memorable than brand messaging in other radio environments? To learn more about sponsorship opportunities across NPR's platforms and why they're so effective, visit npr.org slash four brands. That is npr.org slash four brands. Now back to the episode. So events are a big part of the model. Uh, yeah. You've got, you've got your biggest event coming 40%, next week. Yeah, yeah. it's um, Skiff Global Forum, which is the largest conference of its kind in the travel industry, certainly the most prestigious at this stage. Um, multi-million dollar revenues for us from that one conference, you know, 50, 60, 60% 60 margins on it for us. So big. Our first restaurant, Skiff Restaurants Forum, is also happening, I mentioned. And we used to do one, last year was two, this year's four, next year's five conferences. We're not going to be digitate, um number anytime soon for us what do you mean the number of events meaning the number of events like that you do a year. yeah um but for yeah. us it's it's the equation is can i in year two or three can i make a million dollars per day minimum out of each day mm -hmm. in terms of, of a revenue our global forum is much bigger than that because it just has even with two days it's not two million it's a lot more than that but um but for a one-day conference by year two or three can i make a million out of it um, per conference, and then can I have like fifty percent margins on it? Um, that's what we've figured. Let's see. Yeah. So the the I, I know you have strong feelings about scale, um, but the knock on events is usually that they don't scale. I mean, for us, for us, the scale that we're trying to achieve in travel is the scale that we need in travel. Mm -hmm. So who's to say we we can't do eighty conferences in travel? I don't think it will support it. It's just what we know what to do, which is editorial conferences, geographically focused. So after we run out of the five continents, I guess we're done. So from that perspective, <laughs> so um, 
So there's we'll the see form. if Elon Musk gets uh, gets people onto correct. Mars. So I think that yes, you're correct. I mean, we are going through some of the lessons on events infrastructure that you've already gone through, which is create a separate infrastructure, mm-hmm. make sure it's self-sufficient. They pull all of your different teams or needed whatever yeah. whatever they need, and they're self-sufficient. This year has been a transition year for us. I think by next year, hopefully, we'll be closer to what you are in terms of structure. Mm-hmm. That's what's needed. So I want to talk about uh, structure. It might be a little wonky for people, but um, uh, growing a company mm-hmm. uh, it involves a lot of different pain points. What have been the biggest pain points from, say, 25 to 50? Um, that you've noticed. Putting a, yeah, so uh, for us, and I say this... Uh, w- for the first four years, I would say, we grew through just sheer hustle, like daily. Let's just mm-hmm. let's just do as much as we can. Just daily. on the treadmill and just and like running. We're just gonna execute, and 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 it'll keep happening. Year five, which is last year, I would say, was most when we started long range, longer range planning, which is what's necessary. To have the luxury of long-range planning, and you go through this as well, is incredible. Meaning the fact that we can start something organically and invest in it for, let's say, two years before we even see a return on it. Stuff that we've done for our our specialized newsletters and travel. It's a two-year, for us, it's a two-year investment. Um, so what's changed is long-range planning. The What's changed is also the types of people we're hiring. Um, we 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 um, are hiring more experienced people now than mm-hmm. we have in the past. As a small company, when we were let's say five, less than ten people, we there were obviously the founders, and then we couldn't afford a lot more senior people. Um, after that, now we can afford more senior people. We brought in new heads of um, these are new these are new positions in the company. Mm-hmm. Head of sales, uh, managing editor was a new position. Research. There's a new head of research as well. So these are all mm-hmm. more senior people. We start to have real departments too. Correct. And so um, my role has changed a lot, I think I mentioned before, which is very hands-off. That was uh, certainly the biggest learning experience for me, certainly over the last year. I have a coach that I work with and it's 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 been, you know, people can, um, people uh, think it's, it's a little too... Um, touchy-feely but it, it's really 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 helped me and i would highly recommend any ceo listening and like after year three to five you really really want to work with a coach mm-hmm. um to be able to take the company to the next level um so for you that involved um being because i think you know the first few years you touch everything correct like everything right you know and when you grow it that doesn't you don't scale and you hold i think yeah, you, you become the biggest the com- bottleneck. You become the bottleneck. Yeah, totally. Um, I would say probably for better part of 2017, I was that a little bit of that bottleneck myself. And uh, since I started the coaching, since um, that has helped a lot in terms of me, like uh, Rafa 2.0 is what my coach calls me now. And so, or I need to be that. And so... This podcast is getting very deep. Yeah. So I've it used to be that a lot of people used to report to me that doesn't happen anymore it's different teams different managers different team leaders so all of that is important for um to take the company from 25 to 50 in you know potentially 100 in the next year and a half type cycle so otherwise um you'll just burn and year six is um 
Yeah. So we can we could only do that. The the amazing part is we could only think about all those things if if our business was financially sound and turn and turns out that's that's a, that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot a lot of commentary on the I know, overall I hate media. It no, you love it. Come and on, and I love it. Come both, on, both. Come on, I can tell that you have a love hate relationship with Twitter. Uh, but you have Don't a lot. You? Of, you have a lot of opinions. Um, I'm more indifferent. Um, you have a lot of opinions about what's going on out there um, in media. Explain your overall. I mean, you've written about. Like, I write about like a lot. I mean, where I'm sure your biases said, yeah. are and where they are not. But I'm just going to tick through some of the things that mm-hmm. Rafa hates. Okay, from my standpoint, you're wincing. He's wincing, uh, and then you can just give me like a couple sentences on why you hate it and explain it. Um, unearned privilege in media. You've written about this. You, oh my you, god, uh, tons few, of it. This is what times. all of the media edifice is built on. Um, where do we start? Ivy League white men failing upwards in their life, walking into a VC's office, money being thrown at them versus anybody else in the industry um, is very common. Happens all the time. You see all these media startups that you write about that fail all the time and then everybody says, oh, why did they fail? Like, oh, this is bad for media or this is bad for journalism well i mean guess what um the same investors that would pass on you is this or this this all seems it seems a little personal because it seems well because you everybody yes of course i mean it's personal because i've been in this industry for so long that i know every personality that's part of this ecosystem of course i know i know the motivations that stuff that they would tell me versus stuff that they would tell others the same investors that um, invested in uh, Outline, let's just name it, um, the lead investor in Outline told me that um, that you guys will not scale, so we're not going to invest in you. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. And when they invested in Outline, their sentence was, we are not looking for scale. This is two years later. <laughs> so, um, so sure. I mean, yes, because I'm such a creature of media that I, I know, I you know, m- much like you, I know all these people and have talked to them in, uh, in pretty intimate settings about all kinds of stuff. And then you, you hear them reverse themselves completely. Um, the example that, another example that we have is this panel, the media panel that you and I were on um, a, a few months ago. And the person on the panel two years ago, three years ago, at a media conference was saying exact opposite of what he said on that panel and I called him out on it. <laughs> oh, right. I do remember this. And so, uh, so all of that, because we have long memories, our job as media <laughs> journalists is to, ex-media journalist for me, is to have long memories and to be able to connect the dots on what people have said over a period of time, what companies have done over a period of time and how it then reflects what they're saying today and where they're focused today. Okay, so, so wait, wait. Second, second thing that Rafat hates: scale for scale's sake. So, I've said this is more business than sort of personal, um, which is that um, what you need to do to build a company, media company, versus what investors need you to do to build a company. There's always a gap in between those two things. Sure. At all times, your job as a founder is to keep that 
gap to be the smallest as possible so they can grow the company as fast as possible or as you know as long as possible through the venture capital um many times that gap becomes unsustainable what vcs want you to do versus what you need to do to build a real business um, and that's where the the mismatch happens in terms of scale for scale sake which is um you know i remember back from like dig 1.0 days for instance dig 1.0 if you remember um was uh very much focused on tech links etc tech media links they, yeah. it was focused on tech they raised tons of venture capital guess what they had to ex- they had to expand into every sector mm-hmm. guess what happened to dig among other reasons all the other bigger reasons as well why dig didn't work long term but and now they're back now in sort of a, sort of a different type of avatar but um a lot of things that even if vcs are not personally making it's not like vcs invest 15 million in you and say tomorrow you have to start doing this it's just it's a pressure that builds on 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 expanding you've looked at it at every company every media company that has happened mike is the same thing refine new 29 the same thing buzzfeed the same thing vox the same thing all of them have gone through this and so and these are just some of the bigger examples i'm giving you so i think that having less money allows you to essentially build a company with mm-hmm. um with uh with long-term sustainability in mind i would argue in media this may not be true in some of the other sectors but in media this is particularly true i would agree with that but it does depend on the type of media business correct i would say publishing is what we're talking about i'm not talking about video and stuff which requires a lot of investment entertainment which requires a lot more investment than um than than world that we because it enforces discipline and i'm sure you've experienced that because you can't waste your time with pivoting to a lot of different things because you've yeah. got a bunch of people you got to pay out of your cash flow. Yeah. I mean, we don't have the luxury to do that. So yeah. it's, so it makes the decision kind of easy. Yeah. I think that to the ex- caveat being that, at, so we've grown with the discipline of saying no to everything for the first five years, six years. Only now we're beginning to say yes to certain things, which is the expansion into dining, the expansion into wellness. Um, what we're not doing is chasing formats. Mm-hmm. Well, that was that was my third you know, uh, thing that that you hate, um, which is new media trends. Again, if you have enough history, this is why I've become such a history buff. And I guess this is a result of me just getting older, uh, to be honest. Um, but I'm reading a lot of business history books just in the last year. I've, I've gone off completely, except for the DigiDay podcast. <laughs> I only listen to digital podcasts. I don't listen to. You can't quit us. You see, I know you. You're. I look. I take all notes on our our work. You criticize, but you're still reading. I read digital, of course. I'm a <laughs> sometimes fan of hate reading, but that's fine. It's fine. I, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not saying I like everything, um, but I do read. I open yours. Digital is the only newsletter that I open every day. Okay, there you go. Oh, there's another one, but two. Only okay. Two. Uh, that I open every day, even if I don't click through. I'll All right, so that. back to new media trends. So through dint of history, like a lot of these things that people assume to be new now were going on, this is just specifically online media, uh, were going on in um, Web 1.0 days, were going on in AOL days, were going on. So different, you you learn about these cycles and you realize that um, that this is a cycle we're going through. Mm-hmm. And I think once, if you've been in this long enough and if you are a student of connecting the dots, which I am a big student of connecting the dots, it's just my whole existence around, is around connecting the dots, uh, you begin to see patterns and you begin to see cycles that, are, that we're going through, whether it's um, 
pivot to video, pivot to podcast, pivot to whatever else you want to call it. Yeah. And if you saw AOL screw over publishers, you kind of had an idea that correct. Facebook might screw yes, over publishers. Yes, exactly. Like, seriously, how, like, <laughs> Bankoff, Bankoff was in the middle of it. How did he not know this? Um, but they're doing fine. Um, now, he's a friend. Yes, so in general, chasing formats versus having a core and sticking to it, I'm still a big believer in text. You know, the, yeah. the old school text written on a page, whether it's physical or virtual or mobile or whatever it is. Well, um, it is a very efficient, it's still the most efficient um, vehicle for delivering information. Um, I mean, video is very good for entertainment. Um, I think for delivering particularly business information, text is best. People don't want to watch video at work. Um, yeah, and I still still think the majority of the news slash uh, larger newsish type things will will be text for a long time to come. Yeah, uh, it's not that complicated. Again, um, so that's kind of my, uh, you know, look at what's happening okay. with podcasting as we're speaking. One company is expanding, another company is laying off people. There's just a lot of turmoil. The daily podcast that all of them are starting. I've said this on um, Twitter, New York Times. Sure, outsized win with the daily. Yeah. Um, I think everybody else jumping into it in a year from well, now. Well, that's Me Tooism. That is, you know, but it happens every time, right? Yeah. We'll be back after this quick break. I just returned from the Digiday Publishing Summit, and I got to meet lots of listeners of this very podcast. That was a lot of fun. One of the big themes at DPS was the growth of membership programs. I paid particular attention during those sessions because we too have a membership program. You might have heard me talk about it. It is called Digiday Plus. With Digiday Plus, you get access to exclusive content. Each day we have pieces that are available only for members, along with invites to our member events like live recordings of this podcast. You also get early access to this podcast, exclusive research we do on top industry trends, and much more. It's worth it. Trust me. It is a mere $395 a year. If you visit digiday.com, you will see the plus tab. If you then go there and subscribe, you can use podcast at checkout and you will get 20% off. Please check it out. Now back to the episode. Okay, last thing that you hate, but then we'll get into things you, you like, uh, future of journalism types. There's, uh, because it's endless, there's no answer, to, there's no solution to it. Like, what is the solution? The solution is let's do great journalism. Sure, do it. Like, there's nothing stopping you from doing it except sustainability of your business. So somehow this whole thing about I am I'm a big believer that the fake news and the trust um, um, discussion happening mm -hmm. last two years, three years, overwhelming uh, everything else in media is essentially a head fake on the real problems of media, which is creating sustainable media companies that last. Um, if you are a sustainable media company that does good journalism, chances are you'll be fine even if a lot of fake news exists in general. Mm -hmm. And this is particularly true in the in the B2B world. We're less um, worried about that. But in, in consumer media, um, I think fake news and trust is a bit of a head fake. Um, so you're a big proponent of vertical media. Give Give me one vertical media brand that that you like what they're doing. But then also, on the other side, I, I want one from the sort of broader consumer media world. I used to be a huge fan of Monocle until I lost all respect for them. But um, <laughs> This is the positive part of the, of the podcast. Yeah. Wait, why did you lose all respect for them? 
uh, we don't have time to get into this, to be honest. I um, mean, but they're I, consistent. I understand not liking Monocle, but no, like, no, I, I, was, I don't understand I was a liking fanboy of Monocle. I think Tyler has completely destroyed the enterprise value of the company by essentially following his passion versus what's good for the company. Like he's sacrificed the company to his um, to the detriment of um, of his company. But that's like letting your ego get in front of exactly. what's best for yeah, the that's brand what and the company. You start to think, I am the 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 brand, not like the brand. It's the brand. And yeah. you start to make decisions based yeah, on Yeah, I just think that's what happened. I don't know personally, but I know enough of the company that that's... But you that's see right. that with a lot of companies, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, I suppose Particularly that in media. Media attracts some ego. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so... What do I, I like, you know, one of the, it's a consumer uh, media company. I like fatherly. It just so happens that I am a relatively new father for the last three and a half years. Uh, Mike, uh, he's growing the company in a lot of different ways. I think they are in a lot of the format, new formats, mm-hmm. but because they have such a, um, such a great um, vertical and, 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 it, and it has a lot of loyalty to it. Uh, they've been able to create a lot of good stuff and they're growing fast and and he's been in media for a long time. He knows how to build it, uh, he and his team. So I feel like I like them just as a small media company, relatively small media company that's growing fast. And this is not a B2B company. This is a consumer right. media company that I like. Um, in the larger world, you're talking about consumer media that I like. I'm still a huge fan of what's happening in the New York Times in general. Uh, as somebody who's been who came to US in 1999 and sort of learned about the the larger cultural and business and economic issues through reading the New York Times for years now, um, I'm glad that they've made the transition over to the other side. They seem to be doing well. They, their existence matters a lot mm-hmm. for what for for where the world is. I'm also a huge fan of Financial Times as a brand. Financial Times I love because it feels like even though it's a daily newspaper and with with a lot of um, digital presence, it has it seems to have a finish and an end of some sort. And so it's a finite brand which sort of knows its place in the world and continues to do good, solid reporting. And on the digital side, they're not flash. They're doing the right things to build their subscriber base. So I like Financial Times quite a bit. Um, I, I guess they're now part of a larger company, so they have more leeway to to be able to have a longer-term view than they probably had in the past, for all I know. But I don't know enough about the company's back end, but mm-hmm. I do know that as just as a user, I like it a lot. Okay, so final thing is in travel. Um, you guys are tracking all of the trends what what is something in travel that we're going to be talking about a lot more in 2019 versus now yeah i do think that an uh, over tourism is a term that we coined that has become this mm-hmm. big term in the last two three years about how uh how a bunch of the big cities especially in europe are just having a glut of tourists yeah and so the barcelona problem the barcelona venice etc lisbon dubrovnik let me tell you, go to Dubrovnik. Yes, I that is over. Over tourism could be the one thing that destroys Dubrovnik. So I think that the there's centuries. a lot of conversation beyond just the headlines of "Oh my God," to how do we manage this? How do we balance the life of locals and tourists? How do we create a city that 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 has that balance? The thing I like about New York, we're here, is that we created Times Square. Please go there. Just stay there. <laughs> Don't get out of there. The, the the whole city will be 
um, better off. So create these bubbles um, where tourists go. I mean, that's that's not how it went. But um, yeah, but with like Airbnb that live like locals, tourism is now dispersed to a degree. Correct. Correct. To to some extent. But also there's a negative side of that, which is, you know, in in my neighborhood in Astoria, tons of people. The rollies everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Um, So I do think that this, um, the quality of life issue, which is larger issue than just travel, is becoming a bigger and bigger part of travel. And um, city planners are getting involved in it. Government is getting involved in it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a bigger picture conversation issue that we're following that I think has a lot of legs to it. Mm. I've got one for you. It's this, it's the sort of glow. You'll have to do the term, but it's the global sameness that exists now because of the ubiquity of travel. Like you can go to a high end cocktail bar in Berlin. That is the exact same as Tokyo. That is the exact same Same as Milan. Delhi. If you go, will be the same sort of exposed brick type stuff. And the same type people will be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. We, as many publications have written about it um in travel yes there's a bunch of sameness in different cities we are actually coming out with something what we're calling post-experience economy so this is where if everybody's marketing themselves in travel as an experience how do because like freaking everybody is um how do you differentiate yourself and so we're, we're coining a not a term but sort of a concept on how do you differentiate in a post-experience economy okay Rafat, thank you so much. All right, thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. This show is produced by Aditi Sangal. Tell us what you think. Tweet at me or email me um, or give us a rating and a review. Uh, That always helps this podcast be discovered. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. Thank you again for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode.